So John chapter 20. We've been in the book of John for 40, this is our 45th week in the book of John. We're wrapping it up uh, two more weeks after today of teaching through the book of John. And the whole thing, we've been talking through it with this theme, John 20, 30, and 31, where John talks about belief. He says, I write these things so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. And we've, we've talked about this the whole way through, that John's intent for writing this book was to draw belief out of everybody. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Well, twice in John's writing, we interact with the idea of doubt, the idea of uh, some hesitation about who Jesus is. We talked about Nathaniel in the early weeks, and here we're going to be talking about Thomas today. And there are these two interactions with people that, uh, that it just wasn't automatic, that the, the faith in Jesus didn't just happen right away. And Thomas is an interesting one. Thomas is actually a story of somebody that was with Jesus every step of the way. He was not only a witness to the miracles, but he was a participant. I, I imagine Thomas being on the boat with his hands on the edge, watching Peter climb over the boat and stand on the water and just being like, he's walking on the water. And then he sinks and, and Thomas is like, sorry, man. Like I can just imagine him being there and watching that whole thing happen. But then he's also one of the ones that as Jesus took uh, loaves and fish and broke it and started to feed thousands upon thousands of people. Thomas was one of the ones that held the basket and walks around to thousands of people and picks up so much food that was left over that it could have fed another grip of people. He's holding in his hands the result of the power of Jesus to do miracles. And so a lot of times we look at Thomas's story and we see his, his doubt or his hesitation and we kind of look at that and just think, what gives? Like, wh if I saw the things Thomas saw, I would never doubt. And maybe that's been your attitude looking at somebody like Thomas and we're kind of quick to dismiss him and just say, like, what is his deal? But one of the things that we realize, even as we understand doubt today, is that oftentimes doubt is connected to a traumatic experience. Our struggle to believe is oftentimes connected to something that happens in our church, something that happens in our family, something that happens in the world, something that causes distrust of the messenger, something that causes difficulty to receive what's going on and to put the pieces together. And that idea of doubt, it's not just, yeah, I don't really know what I believe. But it's actually a wall that gets created a hurdle to overcome. And for Thomas, we think of the reality of the crucifixion as a traumatic event. And I just want you to think about this. Sometimes we're so quick. It's, it's black and white on the page, and it's so easy to just breeze over the crucifixion. But I want you to think about these disciples walking with Jesus for three years, living with him, eating with him, hiking around Jerusalem with him, going everywhere he went, listening to his words. It was life Imagine your friends, imagine your family, the people that you're closest to, doing life with them for three solid years and then witnessing as that person is crucified. Seeing as a spear pierces the side of the man that you trusted and blood and water pour out, there's something about that that could rattle a person to their core.
Thomas didn't get to see the risen Christ right away. He wasn't in the first group. And because of what he saw and witnessed, he found himself struggling to overcome the hurdle of believing without seeing. And that's the story that we're going to be walking through. We want to understand Thomas and this idea of doubt. And ultimately, just so that you know, we believe that there is a healthy form of doubt, that there's, there's a way to step into uh, testing the story of God, a way to step into even doubting the story of God that can ultimately produce a, a journey of faith. And it can take time and it can take effort, but we believe it's a good thing, not something to be intimidated by or afraid of. So let's take a look at the scriptures. This is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. All right, as we look at the life of Thomas, we need to understand a couple of things and trying to, we're really focusing in on his difficulty believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is risen from the dead. So Thomas, we don't know much about him. He's only listed a couple of times as one of the disciples. And here he gets, he gets more words here in John than anywhere else in any other gospel. This is all we know about Thomas. So if you've ever heard the phrase doubting Thomas, it's because the only story that we've ever gotten is from John about Thomas struggling to believe. But here we are, 60 years later, John is writing back about the life of Jesus. He's looking back. He's old in age. He's remembering the the things of Jesus. And one of the core stories that he chooses to tell to help us believe is a story of Thomas struggling to believe. That's intentional. That's not John throwing Thomas under the bus. In fact, we'll see Jesus give minimal, if any, rebuke at all for Thomas's doubt. That's not the nature of this at all. And so with this, we're actually going to look at two different things. We're going to look at Thomas himself and his journey of doubt, and we're also going to look at what it looks like for us to walk through doubt with somebody, to actually be with somebody as they themselves doubt. And that may be where you're at right now, is you've got kids or parents or siblings or friends or classmates that are trying to figure out, do I believe this? Is this real? And how we go through that matters. We're going to see that Jesus is not intimidated by Thomas's doubt, but he does present him with truth and give him the opportunity to convert that doubt into either belief or unbelief. Okay, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. So the first thing that we'll look at with with Thomas, and a lot of the stuff that we point out, there's a a writer named A.J. Swoboda. He's a professor up in the Northwest and a pastor up in the Northwest. He's written a book called After Doubt. 
walks through the journey of doubt and deconstruction and does just a phenomenal job. He's counseled hundreds of uh, college-age, young adult-age people that have walked through doubt and deconstruction. Uh, He's a theology professor. He knows the scriptures well, and he's written a great book on doubt. And one of the things that he talks about is the idea of healthy doubt, that it's actually a good thing for us to take the scriptures and to hold them up and see, are these actually true? I think for a lot of us as believers, we might get a little nervous about that. Like, if I, if I put this to the test, does it hold up? If I actually present my beliefs to kind of the, the, the pantheon of truth, will I come out as a follower of Jesus, or will I lose all of my faith? And for a lot of us, we get scared of the potential outcome, so we never really engage the process because we're worried. What will it look like if I don't land on Jesus? A lot of us have been in places, families, churches, community groups, where doubt is kind of nervy. We're a little bit worried about somebody going through doubt, and we don't know how it's going to end up. And so we sort of get kind of anxious for people to get through their doubt and to the other side, and we don't give it the room that it, that it has, that it needs. Let's talk about healthy doubt for just a minute. The first thing, actually, we learned from Thomas is that he names his doubt. He puts a pin on it. And this would be my first encouragement towards healthy doubt is that there would be the ability, the honesty to name your doubt. For Thomas, he says, unless I see it myself, unless I put my hands in his wounds, I will never believe. I don't know what your experience is like, but a lot of us look at that and we're just sort of like, it's so audacious. It's so audacious that Thomas would demand to put his hand in the wound of Jesus before he will ever believe. It's just, you think about that and it's like, how is he not just melted off the face of the planet by a holy God who would be so angry that he would doubt after all the things that he has seen? But John doesn't bury this story. The story could have disappeared in history. John didn't have to tell this story. Matthew doesn't tell it. Mark doesn't tell it. Luke doesn't tell it. But John tells it. Why? Because there are going to be people like you and me that are going to run up against a wall of belief. And John's goal For every single person, wherever you're at and whatever you're running up against, is I want to write some things to help you believe. Let me tell you about Thomas who hit the wall. Thomas's wall was the resurrection of Jesus. Which, by the way, it's interesting, in case you're wondering, this is the first failed evangelism in the Bible. We have all of these disciples who had gotten together on the day of the resurrection. Easter Sunday, they had gotten together that evening. They were in a room, a locked room, and Jesus appears to them, shows them his wounds, and tells them, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, and then tells them, if you forgive, it will be forgiven. If you withhold, it will be withheld. He gives them purpose and mission and power to go and do the things that they've been called to do. Thomas was not there. So all of these disciples have seen the risen Christ. 
They don't have to like, their faith is in the scene. It's not in the unseen. It's in the scene. They witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. And they go to their first person that they tell this to after seeing the risen Christ for themselves. And they go to speak to Thomas. He's one of us. He's heard every story. He's seen every miracle. We're going to tell him we saw the risen Christ. And they communicate the gospel to him. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And Thomas is like, yeah, no. Not good enough for me. It's just kind of interesting to think that's probably the most primed person to ever receive the gospel. And he said no. So Thomas shows up late. We don't know why he was late. It's fun to think that he was just a little bit slower than Peter and John and didn't make it into the room before the door got locked. I'm sure that's not it, but that's what I have in my head. He doesn't make it to that meeting. He's outside of the room. He doesn't get in, and Jesus appears to a certain number of disciples, but not to Thomas. And then Thomas gets with those disciples later. They tell him about the gospel, and he tells them, no, unless I see it and feel it for myself, I will never believe. And then the scriptures say, eight days later. And this gives us just a little bit of a glimpse into God's posture and his journey with us as we go through doubt. Jesus did not rush to Thomas and get there right afterwards. We know he wasn't busy. We know he wasn't occupied. We know that those eight days were a part of the process of Jesus walking through this with Thomas. That's all we can ascertain from this scripture is that eight days go by where Thomas is living with 10 other disciples that have all seen the risen Christ. They're worshiping, they're stoked, they're praising God. And Thomas is saying, no, I'm not with you guys. I can't believe it. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been with a bunch of people that are all lit up about Jesus, that are so excited about what God's done for them. They've seen it, they've felt it, they've heard it, they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And they're so excited about it. And you're just feeling like outside Looking in, I don't feel what they feel. That was Thomas's experience. And all of that builds towards this moment where the same situation happens again. Eight days later, the room, they're together, the door's locked. Jesus shows up, says the same thing, peace be with you. John is overlaying the two experiences, one with 10 of the disciples or some number of the disciples and one with the full number of the disciples minus Judas And the same thing happens. Through the locked doors, peace be with you. And this time he looks directly at Thomas. And this is Jesus' message to Thomas in his doubt. It's beautiful. He says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So Thomas' journey of doubt was met with the risen Christ. Face to face, in the flesh, Jesus shows himself to Thomas. There's no frustration in Jesus. I mentioned the possibility of a mild rebuke that may come later. Have you believed because you have seen me? That question, honestly, many scholars don't even read that as rebuke. There's not even, there's not even like frustration or discouragement in Jesus to go to Thomas and say, how, after all that you've seen, could you not believe? He simply says, Thomas, you've asked for it. It's here. Come and fill the wounds for yourself. See it and know that it's real and know that I'm true. Come and experience for yourself 
what you need to experience. I mentioned the journey of healthy doubt. One of those things is to name it. Another is to have some element of diligence to pursue the truth. And that might be a lot to ask if you're going through doubt, but this is the idea of healthy doubt. To actively pursue the truth that you're seeking. After you've named it, you want to look for it. Ask questions. Talk to people that are in the the family of God. Honestly, we have a group that meets on Thursday nights at 6.30, and the explicit purpose is for people to ask big, deep spiritual questions that they can't seem to find answers to anywhere else. It's over a meal. It's a very casual environment at the office. It's an opportunity for people in that exact place who just say, I'm not totally sure that I I believe all this stuff. To actually go and meet with other people and ask some questions and seek answers diligently. What we want to encourage you away from is sort of the ambiguous agnosticism where you just sort of live in this cloud of I don't know for the rest of your life. Our understanding, our belief, is that there is a truth to be known. That there is an absolute foundation to land on. And that your journey of seeking that out, I have no problem teaching about doubt because I have confidence of what you will land on if you seek the truth. Part of the journey actually goes to you of saying, will you search it out? And that's not just, by the way, to the doubter. That's actually to the follower of Jesus. Will you refine your faith? Will you seek to strengthen the foundation that you've built on, or are you worried that it will crumble if you look into it at all? Jesus was not hesitant at all to present himself to Thomas. He knows that he is the risen Christ, the Son of God, who brings salvation to all mankind. There's no hesitation in him at all. Thomas, come. I have what you need. I have the answers that you're looking for. You've named them. You've sought them out. He didn't run away. This is eight days of Thomas being with a bunch of miserable Christian friends who can just worship the risen Christ. And he's like, I'm just not there. Eight days Thomas puts up with that. He didn't run off. He waited. Unless I see, and then he continued, and he waited, and he stayed, and he looked. And then Jesus shows up, looks right at him, says, I have what you're looking for. Now, Alan was sharing earlier, and he said that encouragement, that that God doesn't always answer your prayer exactly the way that you ask it but that God is a redeeming God who will always redeem your story. That is a promise that you can bank on. That you might possibly be asking for something that he doesn't answer directly. But that through an indirect answer, he may give you the foundation that you need. But God is always a redeemer. It is in his nature. It's who God is to redeem your story. And so with full confidence, I can say, go after the truth. Seek it out. Run it down. In the same way that Jesus said, come, 
Feel these wounds. See for yourself. Now there's an important moment. Jesus' interaction with Thomas is not done. He invites him over to come and feel the wounds, to see them for himself. And then he says this key phrase. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And this is an important part. We talked about healthy doubt. There's a point where doubt ends and there's a decision to make and that decision is belief or unbelief. And that's a different journey than a journey of doubt. Jesus gives him the answer to his questions and Thomas has in front of him what he's been looking for and then Jesus invites him to either, well, he doesn't invite him to either believe or disbelieve. He calls him at that point to believe. Now, if you remember, I I, I told the story about the chair. It kind of backfired on me just a little bit, but we talked about it at Easter. This idea of belief is different than just the, the wondering or the cognitive knowledge. It actually moves from just the mental acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah to belief, which is acting on the things you know to be true. So once your questions have been answered or as you have have found the answers to the doubts that have kept you from believing in Jesus, then Jesus says to you, now believe, don't disbelieve. Don't choose to ignore what I just gave you. If I gave you an answer, build your life around it. Believe. Sit in the chair. Choose to put into practice the reality that you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And this is the thing. Disbelief is dangerous territory. Doubt is not that dangerous. Doubt is one of those things where you walk through this journey of understanding what you believe and God is patient and kind and he leads you to the truth It's what he does. He is a redeemer. He leads you to the truth. Disbelief is being presented with the truth and then choosing not to believe it. And that's a different path. And that does take you away from the redeeming story of God. It's saying no to God's grace and God's kindness. It's saying no to God's truth and it's choosing disbelief. And Jesus does draw a line for Thomas. I know it's scary to think about it, but he does draw a line for Thomas. Don't disbelieve. Believe. As you are, let me speak to those of you that are walking with somebody through doubt. As you think about what it's like to walk with somebody as they go through this, and we all, honestly, you could have a a stable foundation of faith for 25 years and then go through a season of wobble. You could find something and just be like, I don't really know what to do with this. And you may have even been in that situation before where it just kind of makes you wonder, does this hold up? Do I have a firm foundation? And so this isn't just, you know, just the the kind of young deconstructing person that's coming out of a, a rough experience. So that's oftentimes where doubt is. There are a lot of names and faces that go with doubt. And a lot of you know that because you're walking through this with people. So here's what we gain from Jesus or what we learn from Jesus in walking through doubt. Number one, he's patient. The eight days is so significant. That's not there by accident. It wasn't three hours. It was eight days that Jesus waited before resolving some of Thomas's journey. And I know you might be like, I've been in it for eight years. Thomas had it easy. Just know, <laughs> Thomas witnessed the crucifixion Eight days had to feel like a million years to that man. 
I just, I want you to hear that. Patience is key. Two, Jesus was not intimidated or nervous. Part of us walking through doubt with somebody is being able to walk through it with the confidence of our own foundation. What you believe holds up. Jesus is fully aware that his finished work is enough for Thomas. He believes it to his core. And he presents it to Thomas and gives him the answer that he's looking for. As you walk through doubt with somebody, there's patience and there's choosing not to be frustrated or discouraged or to rush. It's actually giving somebody some room to process it. And then lastly, it's helping somebody land on the truth. When they ask a question, be willing to present that same question, put it on the table. You don't need to be afraid of searching out answers. You genuinely don't need to be afraid of putting things on the table and taking it to the scriptures, taking it to your community and asking questions and finding out what do we believe about this? Because there are answers to those questions and there are ways that God brings us to a firm foundation, to a solid place of understanding what is true. It may not be the specific answer to your specific question. A lot of people have gone on some roundabout journeys. But what you'll find is that when people present themselves to God and seek to know the truth, God loves to reveal himself to those people. He loves to put himself out there for those people. Jesus kind of finishes off the time and he said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this is maybe that last piece of you that's just like, okay, I get that we're talking about Thomas. He got to put his hand in the side of Jesus. Well, actually, he didn't. John makes it clear that as soon as Jesus said those words, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He didn't go all the way through with actually putting his hand in the wounds of Jesus. He just professes faith in Jesus. That's a significant profession of faith. Just to put it in Hebrew to help you try and understand how significant this is, my Lord and my God, Adonai Elohim. That's what Thomas said when he saw Jesus, the risen Christ. Adonai Elohim, my Lord and my God. I mean, it's like actually sending chills down my spine. I don't know if it is to you, that idea that Jesus is God. Thomas professes that in that moment. That is belief. Do not disbelieve, but believe, my Lord and my God. That's Thomas choosing to sit in the chair. He responded to Jesus' call to belief by putting his belief in Jesus. And Jesus says, have you believed because you saw me? Blessed are those who believe who have not seen. Now, this is a really interesting word. He says, blessed are. This is, uh, if you read Matthew 5, there's a list of something called the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is considered a Beatitude. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And that's why John wrote this story 60 years after it happened. He's writing to people that are not getting the opportunity to see with their own eyes and feel with their own hands the risen Christ. He understands that. There is a 
life of faith that comes for us who are living without seeing. And Jesus acknowledges that. He acknowledges that you and I have a unique blessing beyond Thomas, beyond Peter, beyond John, beyond James. We are blessed because we believe having never seen. And in this moment, John is taking what happens in that room and he's exploding it out to believers for all time. You have this unique blessing on your life because you have believed without seeing in the same way that the disciples believed with seeing. Jesus blesses your belief. He acknowledges the difficulty. For those of you that are searching and you're looking for where do I go for answers, I mentioned naming your doubt, mentioned taking it to community places like Thursday night. If you happen to be in a community group, finding people that, uh, that have faith and asking them hard questions, those are good things to do. People who are being asked hard questions, it's okay to say, I don't know, let's look that up together. That's fine. You don't have to have all the answers. It's good to actually be able to go to the scriptures together and say, let's find out what we think about this. Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. But part of that encouragement is to step into it, not away from it. You can choose to live in an ambiguous state where you just kind of wonder what this is all about. It doesn't get you where you want to go. But if you choose to seek the truth, I can stand up here and confidently say, I believe you'll find it. I believe that you will find the truth of Jesus presenting himself to you and the opportunity then for you to say, my Lord and my God, and to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. So take the time, take the effort, go down the path, Ask the questions. Go on the journey. It's a good journey. And then when you find what you're looking for, there is a call to believe, and that's the life that Jesus invites us into. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for bringing us together today and giving us the opportunity to worship you, to praise you. Lord, I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters that are going through a season of doubt, that are, are trying to understand what they believe and what is true. Jesus, I want to I pray your hand of uh, faithfulness on them. Lord, that as they go through a journey of trying to understand what they believe and even maybe putting a name to it, putting a, a, a barrier up, Lord, I pray that you would give them insight, wisdom, clarity, answer the questions that they're seeking. Or for those whose doubt was precipitated by a traumatic experience, pray, Lord, that you would gently shepherd them as you did with Thomas. Lord, to show them how good you truly are, even though there is brokenness in this world, there is evil in this world, there is sin that tears away at our ability to trust. Lord, would you rebuild trust? Would you tenderly shepherd people through the trauma, through the difficulty, through the things that they've seen and experienced? they might ultimately experience life and trust and faith again. Lord, for those that are not here because of their doubt and are out in the community that are 
uh, maybe choosing not to be a part of a church, not to engage in the things of God. Just pray that you would show them your kindness. Show them your grace. Show them your patience. Lord, help us as as believers as we walk in life to be uh, careful shepherds with our friends. Lord, give us words to say. Give us wisdom beyond ourselves. Fill us with your spirit to go into these moments to actually be uh, just voices of truth, faith, gentleness, goodness into the lives of people that need to hear your voice. We love you, Lord. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.